What I want to do is pick up in verse 18. We, we ended last week with the 18th verse, uh, and then read verse 19 as well through the end of this 14th chapter. That's going to be our text for this morning. So picking up in verse 18, And with these sayings, they could scarcely restrain the multitudes from sacrificing to them. Then Jews from Antioch and Iconium came there. And having persuaded the multitudes, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. However, when the disciples gathered around him, he rose up and went into the city. And the next day he departed with Barnabas to Derbe. And when they had preached the gospel to that city and made many disciples, they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, exhorting them to continue in the faith and saying, we must, through many tribulations, enter the kingdom of God. So when they had appointed elders in every church and prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord in whom they had believed. And after they had passed through Pisidia, they came to Pamphylia. And when they had preached the word to Perga, they went down to Atalia. From there they sailed to Antioch, where they had been com commended to the grace of God for the work which, which they had completed. Now when they had come and gathered the church together, they reported all that God had done with them, and that he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. So they stayed there a long time with the disciples. And Father, we pray that you would have your way in our hearts as we look at these verses together. Just the dramatic uh, turn that we see in this 19th verse. Lord, might your spirit speak to our hearts. Might he teach us your truth, leading and guiding us into all truth, Lord. Might he bring glory and honor to our Lord Jesus Christ. And Lord, might your word be written upon our hearts. Give us by your spirit wisdom, understanding, and discernment to not only understand these things, but also to know how to apply them to our lives today in the 21st century here in Southern California. So God, have your way. Be praised, honored, and glorified, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys may be seated. Last week, of course, we looked at the first 18 verses of this passage, and uh, uh, we ended in that 18th verse with those words that we read just a moment ago that, the, that, that Barnabas and Paul were barely, scarcely, as we see in the New King James Version, able to restrain the multitudes from sacrificing to them. You know, the, uh, the citizens there in, um, in Lystra, they, they believed that, that the gods had come to visit them in human form because of this miraculous healing that had taken place in their midst, uh, and they wanted to sacrifice to them. Uh, and, of course, Paul and, and, and Barnabas are saying, no, no, we're just men like you. But, but something I want to point out to you, 
Uh, in the 15th verse, let's read that. Read that as, they, as the apostles Paul and Barnabas, as we see in the 14th, they are called, as they discovered what they were intending to do to sacrifice to them, they, they tore their clothes uh, as a sign of the blasphemy that was about to be committed, mere men being sacrificed to, right? Uh, and, and then they said there in fifth, verse 15, Men, why are you doing these things? We also are men with, sa- with the same nature as you and preach to you that you should turn from these useless things to the living God who made the heaven, the earth, the sea, and all the things that are in them. Um, we see in verse 19 a dramatic turn. In those previous verses, they wanted to sacrifice to them. They brought animals to sacrifice to Paul and Barnabas, believing them to be gods having come in the flesh. And then in verse 19, the Jews from Antioch and Iconium, where they had visited previously, visited previously, and of course in both of those cities, we, we understand that there was a great deal of of opposition to the word of God being taught. The, the unbelieving Jews stirred up the others and basically ran them out of town. And here in Lystra, they come to stir up the crowds once again. We see in that verse, they came there and having persuaded the multitudes, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. Now, it's interesting how quickly a crowd can turn. But something to be pointed out there in that 15th verse that we just read. Paul said, Paul and Barnabas, uh, uh, we're not really told which one of them said these things, I assume it was Paul, that they preach to them that they should turn from these useless things to the living God. And as they were able to restrain them from sacrificing to them, can't you imagine that these folks there in Lystra having for years and years and years, centuries, no doubt, sacrificed to their Greek gods. And now they're told that Paul and Barnabas came to preach to them that they should turn from these useless things, right? You think maybe they were a bit offended by that? You think? I think that's the reason they were so easily turned by these Jewish unbelievers from Antioch and Iconium. So in this verse that we see them persuading, these Jews, persuading the multitudes there in Lystra, they wind up stoning them. From the Jews' perspective, they were stoning them for blasphemy as they were teaching that Jesus of Nazareth is the Messiah, that he ought to be bowed down to, that he is actually God. And so anytime any man is 
made to be God from that perspective, blasphemy is taking place. They viewed Jesus as just a mere man. Didn't believe him to be God manifest in the flesh as we see the scriptures teach and as we believe ourselves. Amen? God manifest in the flesh. It's not a problem for us to call Jesus God because we know that he is. But it's a problem for these idolatrous Greeks who were about to sacrifice to their gods believing that they'd come in human form. And so I don't think it took a lot for these Jews to persuade the multitudes that these men ought to be stoned to death rather than offering animals as a sacrifice to them rather than killing the animals, kill them because they pretended or they they preached that Jesus Christ is the, the Son of God. So this is a, a culmination, really, of, of Paul and Barnabas on this missionary tour, these particular cities as well. You know, Antioch, and then Iconium, Lystra, that are going to go on to D- Derby, but in those three cities, uh, Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra, a great deal of persecution, a great deal of opposition, and we've been talking a lot in the last several weeks of all the opposition that we face, that that we face as followers of Jesus, as disciples of His, as we share the truth with others, the opposition that we face, simply because, well, this world is opposed to Christ, isn't it? This world is opposed to Christ, opposed to Jesus, opposed to, to all that is truth, the truth from the Word of God. And so we find that opposition in our lives as well. We see it all over our culture. We've been talking about it in the last several weeks. But it culminates here in Lystra with Paul being stoned and left for dead. It's amazing that they were able, that, that these folks were able to, 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 to do that. You know, we talk about the fickleness of the crowds, and it does remind us, doesn't it, of what, what took place Several years before in Jerusalem, when Jesus entered into Jerusalem, remember? On that, with his triumphal entry, we call it. I mean, the multitudes were praising him. Hosanna to the son of David and so forth. You know, they were, they were laying down their, their clothes and, 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 and the palm leaves on the road as he uh, rode that, that, that donkey into Jerusalem. And then within a few days, they were willing to crucify him. The Jewish leaders got these same people to cry out, crucify him, crucify him, right? How easily we can be swayed if we, we take action simply based on the emotion of the moment. But we, we in our own culture, we see how easily a peaceful demonstration can be turned into a riot through people inciting them. That's just the way we can be if we're focused on responding emotionally rather than on truth. God help us to focus on the truth. 
So they stoned Paul. I think I shared it was last week or maybe the week before that even though they had never heard uh, of the song, Everybody Must Get Stoned. (laughs) A number in this room have been (laughs) a number of times before Jesus, right? Maybe even, even a little bit afterward before Jesus straightened us out a bit. You know, I, I wasn't a, a big drug user before I came to the Lord. I, I, I smoked marijuana three times, just three times. My, my wife partook more often than I did. <laughs> How about you guys? No, we're not going to. <laughs> Bob Dylan. Anyway, um... He was stoned. They dragged him out of the city and left him for dead. Maybe that happened to some of us too. (laughs) We were placed into bed thinking that we're dying or something. I don't know. Anyway. um, You know, later, Paul would write to the Galatians in Galatians 6.17. I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. You think some of the scars that were there because of him being stoned to death or at least a part of what he, talk, he was talking about. Actually, in 2 Corinthians 11, verses 23 to 28, Paul, in, in, in ministering to the Corinthians, he wrote this. He's speaking about his own, his own suffering. And the way that he writes this, he writes it in such a way that the suffering that he encountered is actually proof of the fact that he was a disciple of Jesus Christ that he was a servant of Jesus Christ. Look at the way he writes this. In verse 23, he says, Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more. I am more a minister of Christ than these others. And then he writes about his suffering. In labors more abundant, in stripes above measure, in prisons more frequently, in deaths often. From the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I have been in the deep, in journeys often, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and toil, in sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness, besides the other things, what comes upon me daily, my deep concern for all the churches. The things that Paul experienced as a minister of the gospel. Now, I dare, I dare say that None of us have experienced things like that, especially that much. We feel like we're being persecuted when we say, you really, you believe that stuff? That's persecution for us, at least a part of it. Within our culture, the persecution of believers is becoming more and more uh, um, real, And we're going to see it taking place on on a greater basis 
as it does in, in other countries. You know, we, we don't hear that much. I mean, certainly in, in the press. I mean, if you, if you read, um, uh, if you're familiar with The Voice of the Martyrs, and, and you read from that website or, or you, you get the, the newsletter that they put out or something like that, we'll read about that. By the way, how many of you do uh, regularly partake in reading something from Voice of the Martyrs? Ho- raise, raise your hand. Two, three, four, five, about five people. I would encourage you guys to do that. Look at, uh, check out Voice of the Martyrs. Just look at it, get it, get it online. Get their, um, uh, subscribe to their uh, uh, newsletter. And you will hear about the way that Christians in other parts of the world are suffering. Being executed. And being driven from their homes in and, and, and all sorts of manners. And in so many other parts of the world in China and in Africa and so forth. You know, it's just amazing what goes on. And we're very isolated from that. And so I really encourage you to to do that. But this is what Paul went through. And certainly we, as followers of Christ, and we've talked about this, that we should expect trials and tribulation in this world. Not only did Paul experience it, he wrote about it, Jesus told us that it would happen, right? And we need to expect it. As Paul was dragged out of the city, as he was being stoned, I I wonder, I just wonder if he thought about his part in the stoning of Stephen. Now he is being stoned for the exact same reason. I wonder if he thought about that. I think he must have. I think he must have thought about that. And, 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 we, and we see here in that 20th verse that he had been stoned, of course, in verse 19. In verse 20, however, when the disciples gathered around him... He rose up and went into the city, and the next day he departed with Barnabas to Derby. Now, okay, we, we, have to, we have to picture this. You know, we, we can't just kind of read through it and just kind of move, move forward. It's like, okay, he had been stoned to death. They dragged him out of the city, stoned him, left him there, supposing him to be dead. Now, that word supposing is used of... A person who, you know, he's thinking something is true that is not true. That's what that word means. And yet the way it's written, because in verse 19, they supposed him to be dead. And then the word, however, when the disciples gathered around him, he rose up. Now, what's really going on there? Was he actually dead? And was he resurrected? Or did they just think he was dead? Or from the movie Princess Bride, he was just mostly dead. <laughs> I think they got that from this, this, this Bible passage, actually. What was he? Was he dead or was he not? You know, it, it's hard to know from the way this is written. 
Because verse 20 is written in such a way that something miraculous took place. And maybe the miracle was that even though he wasn't really dead, they supposed him to, to be dead, he was so injured, so damaged, that they thought he was dead. And then the way verse 20 is written, he just jumps up and goes into the city. That's all it said. The disciples gathered around him. What did they do? Did they pray for him? Did they weep for him? Did they try to revive him? Were there some EMTs there in the town that, that, that ministered to him and he actually was revived? I mean, the, the, the whole world, at least our culture, just a, a number of weeks ago at a football game, remember when, I'm forgetting the, 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 the football player's name, who, whose heart stopped on the field, you guys remember? Damar Hamlin, right? Damar Hamlin. I mean, his heart had stopped. And I think we could actually say that he was dead, although his, his brain waves were still going, he, you know, I mean, they were active and so forth. Dan, would you say someone is dead in that position when the heart had stopped? Yeah? Our own e EMT right here. He was dead. And, and of course, they were able to, to revive him through, through, through the use of the equipment that they had, you know. And, and it, was a it was a very dramatic thing. They didn't have those things here at this time, of course. Did they know anything about these techniques? I don't know. But what were they doing? All it says is they gathered around him. I would assume they at least prayed. Well, we don't know. We're not told. We're not told. But he rose up and went back into the city. Now, how did that look? What, what went on there? It's like, these people in the city had just stoned him to death. Now he's going back in. What's the thinking there? He's thinking, they can't hurt me. <laughs> look what they did, and here I am. You know, I'm, or something like that. Maybe, I don't know. But I would imagine when something like that, and, you know, some of the disciples said, come with us, Paul. Let's go into the city. They think you're dead. We'll put you in our house, we'll sleep, and then we'll, then we'll leave in the morning. They think you're dead. They're not going to be looking for you. Something like that, maybe? Perhaps. We, again, we don't know. Those details are left out. And so, but Paul does go back to the same city among the people who stoned him to death. At least they thought they did. And we don't know for sure whether the miracle is that he was brought back to life or the miracle was a, an incredibly swift recovery. We don't know which is, is the miracle, but certainly a miracle took place. And, and as that takes place, oh, another thing I want to mention to you. We already read out of 2 Corinthians chapter, chapter 12. or chapter 11, I should say. Um, in the 12th chapter, the first four verses of 2 Corinthians, Paul writes of a vision that he had. You guys are familiar with this. Let me read it, verses 1 through 4. It is doubtless not profitable for me to boast. I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago now, he's speaking of himself here. 
Whether in the body, I do not know. Or whether out of the body, I do not know. God knows. Such a one was caught up to the third heaven. And I know such a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know, God knows. How he was caught up into paradise and heard inexpressible words, which is not lawful for a man to utter. There are a number of people, scholars, commentators, and so forth, um, pastors, and I guess all of us come to a conclusion on this of some sort, that perhaps it was when he was stoned and left for dead that he actually did die and experienced paradise for a few moments and was sent back. You know, we hear about these near-death experiences and people experiencing these kinds of things, but I want you to note something here, guys. Paul says in verse 4, how he was caught up into paradise and heard inexpressible words which is not lawful for a man to utter. Now, what does that say about things that we hear, books written about it, movies made, made about it, experiences, supposed, and I just say supposed because I don't know. I don't know. Going to heaven, having a near-death experience, going into heaven, seeing Jesus, seeing others, and what, whatever, and then coming back being brought back to life. Maybe they weren't actually dead. Maybe it was a vision that they had. Whatever it may have been. Then when they recover, then they talk about it. Paul said, these are things that a man should not utter. Hmm. You know, I don't doubt because it happened to Paul that these things can happen. But, when Paul says there in 2 Corinthians 12, verse 4, that it is not lawful for a man to utter these things, I think we should take a clue there and just simply not talk about it. You know, maybe to some close friends, if you're married to your, to your wife or your husband, you know, something like that perhaps. But I do not see, as I read these things, guys, I do not see permission from God to make it widely publicized. The details. Paul talks about the fact that this happened, but he doesn't give the details. Especially when there's money to be made off of it. That, you know... Are you guys like this? Anytime there's money to be made off of some kind of religious experience, it kind of casts a, a shadow on that experience that's, that is being talked about or written about, doesn't it? No, we've got to be careful, guys. We've got to be careful. But there are many who believe that, that 2 Corinthians 12, 1 to 4 is written by Paul describing this particular experience of him actually dying, going into heaven, seeing things that he can't talk about. 
so he doesn't talk about it. Um, Luke doesn't say much about it either, just in the sense that we thought he was dead. Of course, Luke wasn't there, but you know those who were around him, the, the disciples thought he was dead. He rose up and went back into the city. Now, just the fact that he went in, just the fact that he went in shows his persistence, shows his courage, um, his perseverance to preach the gospel. Went into town, stayed the night, left the next morning with Barnabas, and they went to, to the town of Derby. That's what we see at the end of verse 20. Now, Derby is a city... Now, uh, um, in, in, in many uh, passages, in fact, we saw it earlier, that Derby and Lystra were mentioned in, in the same sentence. We're, we're going to go to Derby and Lystra, but Derby was a, you know, 60 miles from Lystra. Uh, so, and, and in those days, that was not close. Today, we're thinking, oh, it's not that far. It's just an hour's drive. 60 miles would be a three-day walk. If you're walking 20 miles a day, you know, three miles an hour. Any of you who do walking, if you're walking three miles an hour, that's a pretty good pace. You know, it, it'll take you uh, seven hours to walk uh, 21 miles at that pace. If you walk 10 hours at that pace, that's 30 miles, and you can do it in two days. If you're really healthy and doing that, I mean, you could. But, you know, we... we we, we talk about that 60 miles. For them, it was much further than it is for us today. That, that, that's all I, I'm getting at there, at there. So it took them at least a couple days to do that. And then verse 21, we see the ministry in Derby taking place. And this is, this is the description in verse 21 of the ministry that takes place in the city of Derby. And when they had preached the gospel to that city, and made many disciples, they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch. No detail whatsoever. All we know is that happened in Derby is this. Paul and Barnabas preached the gospel, and they made many disciples in that city. That's all we know. But praise the Lord for that. How long did they stay? We don't know. Long enough to preach the gospel to enough people that many disciples were made there in that city. That's all we really know. But then we see them reversing course, going back to Lystra, and then to Iconium, and then to Antioch. Now, well, let's look at verse 22. Strengthening the souls of the disciples. This is their purpose in going back. They could have gone straight to the coast to catch a, to catch a, uh, a, a ship to go back to uh, Antioch of, of Syria. But no, they reversed course to visit those cities that they had been in. And not just simply visit the cities, but to follow up on those new disciples. That's what they were doing. This was a follow-up ministry. They came through, they, they, they preached the gospel, the evangelism took place, many got saved, then they went back to follow up on them to, to encourage them in their walk with the Lord. 
And we see there in verse 22, strengthening the souls of the disciples. And I want you to think about this, guys. Let's remember what happened in those cities. The opposition that they experienced in those cities, the persecution that they experienced in those cities, and especially there in Lystra with Paul having been stoned. Goes back long enough to gather the disciples together to encourage them in their faith. It's amazing. Amazing, amazing courage and amazing, amazing trust in the Lord that he's going to take care of them. Do you guys trust that God will take care of you? In whatever situation you may find yourself in, do you guys trust that? You know, when we go through difficulties, when we go through trials and tribulations, you know, it can be a difficult thing to trust in the Lord. It can be easy to ask things like, Lord, what's going on here? I, I, th I thought you loved me. Lord, what's going on here? Have, have, you, have I stepped out of your hedge of protection somehow? I mean, that, that's one thing that, that's a good thing for us to do. But we begin asking questions, right? And that's a natural thing to do. As we're going through the Psalms on Wednesday night, we find the psalmists, whether it's David or, or, or uh, um, the sons of Korah or whomever, you know, we, we see those kinds of questions asked in the beginning of a psalm, but they always come back to a place, a place of, of, of trusting the Lord. And, and those psalms are just uh, microcosms of what it means to walk with the Lord. And so those questions are natural, but let's not stay there because we've got to get to that place where we see the Word of God saying He loves us, He cares for us, cast all our cares on Him because He cares for us, that, that He is our protector, you know, and, and all these things. He's our overcomer. But even that verse, that we'll, we'll, we'll mention it again, John 16, 33, Jesus saying, These things I've spoken to you, that in me you may have peace, in the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. And even in the midst of the tribulation, he has overcome the world. Even if he doesn't cure the sickness or change the situation that's brought the trouble, he still has overcome the world, hasn't he? We've got to trust him. We've got to trust him. He's strengthening the, they are strengthening the disciples in these cities. Verse 22 again, exhorting them to continue in the faith and saying, we must through many tribulations enter the kingdom of God. And as, as Paul would say that, and as others are hearing that, seeing, watching, and hearing what took place in Lystra, they're saying, no kidding. No kidding. Paul obviously is speaking from firsthand experience. Later in the book of Acts, chapter 20, when the Apostle Paul is speaking to the elders from the church in Ephesus, beginning of verse 31, he says this to them. 
He says, therefore, watch and remember that for three years I did not cease to warn everyone night and day with tears. That's a reference to the fact that he ministered there in Ephesus for a three-year period of time. So now, verse 32, so now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Basing them, basically, he is commending them into the care of God and to the ministry of his word. The word of his grace, which is able to build you up. You want to be built up in your faith? Read the word. Read the word of God. Read the word of God. Richard was just sharing me with me, uh, who, who led us in worship this morning with, with his wife, uh, Susie, Susan. Um, he was just sharing with me this morning that he had heard from an old saint years ago who had been with the Lord for 62 years, involved in writing books on theology and, 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 and other works that he had written. He declared, he, as he sp- spoke to this group, I'm not sure what the setting was, prob- probably at a church where he was visiting and, and sharing, but shared with them that, you know, all this work with theology, reading theological books, the- theology books, reading various works from other commentators and so forth, said, I wish I had read more of the Word of God. It is more important for you, not that those other works are wrong to read or bad to read. They can be helpful. But there's something ex- especially powerful about having the Word of God given to us by the Holy Spirit through men writing, the Holy Spirit speaking to their hearts to write what they do, and then us reading the Word as the Holy Spirit in us gives us understanding of these things, just a direct correlation. Rather than hearing what the Holy Spirit spoke to somebody else, let's just read ourselves and see what the Holy Spirit says to us. Right? We will understand more. We will receive more. And we can be helped by other works. I read commentaries. I've read books on on theology. I've done that. But there's, it, there's more value in reading the Bible, taking time to listen to what the Holy Spirit says, meditate on the Scripture, ask the Lord, what's this mean, Lord? How is this to be interpreted correctly? And we, we've got the Bible, even, even with a good study Bible, it's not, you don't really need much more than that. You've got the references, you've got things written, some background, some historical background and stuff that's there. It's like... And just simply ask the questions. Take the time to do this. In, in inductive Bible study, this is, this is what is being taught. Just to put it simple, just ask the who, what, where, why, when, and how questions in relation to the passage that you've got. And do the research. Take the time. Please don't just settle on doing a 20-minute devotion every morning. Don't settle for that. It's not a bad thing to do. And we can get caught up in our lives and be so busy that 
on some particular days, that really is all there, there may be time for. But if that becomes a habit, we're going down the wrong road. We've got to be in the Word of God if we are going to be changed by it. The Word of God itself. I encourage you in them. 2 Timothy 1.8, as Paul relates the reality that we must but through many, through much tribulation, walk with our Lord Jesus. In 2 Timothy 1.8, Paul wrote this to Timothy, Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share with me in the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God. 1 Peter 4, verses 12 to 14. Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fire trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened to you. But rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's suffering, that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. If you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you. For the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. On their part he is blasphemed, but on your part he is glorified. Now those are some of those verses that we don't really like to read. But it's encouragement to persevere through trials and through reproaches. And when the world does speak ill of us, let's count ourselves as privileged. Because many men and women of the past, many men in the scriptures, Jesus himself, many things, many uh, 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 words of ill uh, uh, repute were spoken about prophets of the past, about Jesus himself. We are in good company. Now one of the things that we need to remember too, even as Paul writes to Timothy the way he did here in Second Timothy. You know, uh, we're going to see later on in in uh, Acts chapter sixteen, verse one, that um, in fact the first two verses, we we see that Luke writes this, and th this is during Paul Paul's second missionary journey. Uh, he he's got. Um, rather than uh, Barnabas with him, he's got uh, another brother with him. And I'm trying to remember who that was. Paul and Silas is who it was. Um, it says that he came to Derby and Lystra. This is on the second missionary journey. And behold, a certain disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a certain Jewish woman who believed, but his father was Greek. He was well spoken of by the brethren who were at Lystra and Iconium. So Timothy was raised there by his mom, and we, find, and we do find later that, that his grandmother was also a vital part of his faith. But they were there in that Lystra Derby area. And it is entirely possible that Timothy's mom, Eunice, his grandmother, 
Lois, and maybe even Timothy himself were among those believers, those disciples who were with Paul when he had been stoned, and they are part of that group that gathered around him when he suddenly rose up and went back into the city. Totally possible. And I suppose it's even possible that Timothy's mom, Eunice, is the one who invited him to stay at their house that night. We have no way of knowing because it's not said. I'm just saying, though, because of the reality, we do know that Timothy was raised in either Lystra or Derby, probably Lystra, because it's mentioned twice in those verses in Acts chapter 16. Uh, uh, they came to Derby and Lystra. He was well spoken of the brethren who were at Lystra and Iconium. Doesn't say Derby. It's probably from Lystra. Probably could have well seen all that. So, I mean, that's just an interesting thing that we see in relation to Timothy's relationship with Paul. Interesting stuff. We also see, we already quoted from uh, John 16, 33. But in that same chapter earlier in verses 1 and 2, look at these words. Jesus says this, These things I've spoken to you, like he said in verse 33, these things I've spoken to you. Here he says that you should not be made to stumble. They will put you out of the synagogues. Yes, the time is coming that whoever kills you will think that he offers God service. Paul actually was doing that at one time as Saul of Tarsus, right? And then, of course, verse 33, which I already quoted that in me you may have peace. Let's be careful, guys, as we share the gospel with others. We don't simply say, he has a wonderful plan for your life. You know what I mean? It's not that he doesn't. Tribulation, suffering, perhaps even persecution, is a part of that plan. Right? Because if we just simply tell people, you know, give your life to Jesus and your life will be rosy from here on forth. You know, uh, it's like the, the first sign of trouble, they'll be saying, what's with this? It'll either, they'll either question the reality that, that they're saved or they'll question the goodness of God. We've got to be up front with them, like Paul was. As, as, as he said, we must, through much tribulation, enter into the kingdom of God. Have you guys learned that? Have you learned that there's a lot of tribulation in following after Jesus? There is. And again, it is because of the world in which we live. It's because of sin. Now, we, we can be, uh, um, we, we can find ourselves in trouble having trials and tribulation because of our own sin, because there are consequences to sin, right? Or we can find ourselves going through problems because of somebody else's sin close by us. For example, w within a family, a husband and father leading a life of sin is going to cause some problems for his wife and kids. 
That's just the way it is. You know the saying, no man is an island? It's true. It's true. Or we can just simply suffer because of sin, because of the fact of sin in the world. That's how I view what, what, what my bride is going through right now. She did nothing that would cause this neurological disease to come on her. But it's life in a broken world, a, a, life, a world that has been broken by sin. Sin visits, or, or excuse me, the brokenness visits us in various ways. In various ways. And we can say, we don't deserve this. And that may be true, but let's be careful about that because we also don't deserve life. We don't deserve heaven. We don't deserve a relationship with God. We don't deserve all the, all, all the ways that he has poured out his grace upon us in our lives, right? But this is just simply part of it. And I hope that for you guys, like it has become for me, something that Job said to his wife in the second chapter of Job, saying to her, after she said to him, why don't you just curse God and die? Which I, I think is so interesting that, she, that he said that to her based on the fact that, that Job, excuse me, in that first and second chapter, Satan twice tells God, I'll get him to curse you to your face. Well, Job said to his wife, you know, you're speaking like a foolish woman. Are we supposed to accept the good things from God and not adversity? And he tore his clothes and he worshipped God. He worshipped God. Which tells me that adversity in this world should be a reason to worship God. Maybe simply because he told us that it was true. It's an idea of worshiping God, the God of truth. Jesus who is the way, the truth, and the life. It's something that is very well established in the scriptures. Suffering in this world. Even persecution of those who come to faith. Back over to uh, Acts chapter 14. As we see the, the closing verses, in verses 24 and 25, we see them um, after, of course, Paul and Barnabas are ministering to these churches that, that, that they'd come to, encouraging them in their faith. They passed through Pisidia, came to Pamphylia. Now, when they had preached the word in Perga, now there in verse 25, it's interesting, when they're in Perga the first time, there's nothing mentioned about any ministry going on there at all. All that's mentioned is that's where John Mark left and went back to Jerusalem. And maybe they, they, they were there just for a moment. I don't know why the, the word of God wasn't preached there. Maybe it was, and it was brief, it wasn't described by Luke. We don't know. But one thing we know now here is that when they come to Perga the second time, the word is being preached there. No mention of any kind of success, what kind of response to the word of God, nothing like that. But they went down to Atalia, number 26. From there they sailed to Antioch, 
for they'd been commended to the grace of God for the work which they had completed. So it was the church in Antioch in Syria that sent them on this missionary journey. They came back to Antioch in Syria, their home church. They had been gone for several months by this time. Verse 27, when they had come and gathered the church together, they reported all that God had done with them and that he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. That's something we like to do after mission trip. Is we'll get the people who are part of the trip, gather together on the stage and share something about what the Lord did. I mean, we, we need to do that because in a situation like that, Calvary Chapel Upland is ascending church to this mission team. Even if it's a week, even if it's 10 days, two weeks, or if we send an individual out or a, fa- or a couple out or a family out, we, we want to hear from them about the work that God is doing. And so th- this is something that, that is well precedented for us in, in Scripture. Paul and Barnabas shared with the church in Antioch all that God had done with them and that he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. Now remember, at the church in Antioch in Syria, you know, that, that's not Judea. There were Greeks that were there. We, we saw that there were Greeks who had come from Cyprus there to preach the gospel. And now they are all hearing that in these other parts of the world where Paul and Barnabas visited, that God is opening the door of faith to the Gentiles there as well. And so they stayed there a long time with the disciples. A long time, we don't have a definition of that. Probably several months. Probably several months before we get to chapter 15, which is a very, very important chapter for us in terms of the way that the early church dealt with the issue of, uh, of Gentiles becoming Christians, placing their faith in the Jewish Messiah, should they become Jews or not? That's the question that we're going to see dealt with in Acts chapter 15. We're not going to get through it all in one week, so let's be patient. But that's a very important chapter for us to look at. Let's pray together. Father, Lord, we see this um, persistence of Paul and Barnabas. We see their faith. We see the reality that even as Paul said later in Acts chapter 20, we didn't quote from this this morning, but he, he, he will say to the Ephesian elders, none of these things move me. No, no kind of danger would move him from what, what you had given him, the, the, the mission, the ministry that you'd given to him, Lord, to, to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. Oh, how we admire that. And Lord, we want that for ourselves. We don't want to be moved by a a fear of what people will think of us. We don't want to be moved by fearing people rather than fearing you first and foremost. And even though that fear may be there, that, 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 that hesitation may be there, might we be all about serving you and being your servants, Lord? fearing you first and not what people will say or not what people will do or what they will think. God, we belong to you. 
Lord, might we face our trials and tribulations in such a way that you are honored. Might we face them in such a way that we know that they're a part of life in this world. And even as we know you could prevent them, you're able to, but you don't, that must mean that you have ordained that we go through them. It doesn't mean that you are not a good God. It just means that you've chosen to use that to bring growth in us. Even Jesus learned obedience through his suffering. Should it be any different for us? Lord, help us. Help us to view our lives in this world that hates you in the right perspective and use us in this world to bring glory and honor to you through the way that we live, through the way that we serve you, through the way that we speak, through the way, Lord, that we walk in this world that is so filled with sin. Be honored and glorified through us, we pray. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.